A planet, three-fourths the size of Earth, with 6,000 times the mass, hurling straight towards us with no sign of stopping, it's Goreth. I thought it was going to be a monster. <laughs> well, technically, I said a planet in that preamble there, but yeah, it's actually it like a star. A yeah, star it's a star. Yeah, it's a star. Um, which doesn't make too much sense, but I guess it could be like a burnt out star or a star that's really burnt out because well, otherwise a well, star would just burn everything up. Well, a star it, in general shouldn't be ro- roaming around. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> usually it has things right. It usually has things uh circling it. <laughs> I was like more like this is more of like a meteor, but I'm going to call it a planet here in this preamble. Cuz if that's uh, if that star's coming by, then it's going to have like a whole nother galaxy following it. <laughs> right. It's, we're in trouble. We're in bigger trouble then. <laughs> oh man. And how many times was it said within the first 30 minutes that this thing was 6,000 times the mass of Earth? They needed you to understand, Eric, if you didn't miss it the first or fifth time. <laughs> <laughs> No, they really did. Like, we needed to understand that for sure. Anyway, welcome back to the Monsters vs. Men podcast. We are the bargain basement of the Kaiju podcasting slash broadcasting airwaves. Mm -hmm. This week, as we try to stay alive, we are talking about the star, the planet, the meteor, the whatever it is, Gorath. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um you know what? Let's just go ahead and get into it, Eric. I'll do the yeah. introduction. You, so. You'll do the film introduction. Yeah, let's just jump in. So, as the third of our four Toho sci-fi films, Ishiro Honda takes the helm again to direct a film that contains some elements of both the Mysterians and Battle in Outer Space. But, does Gorath find a way to be original, or are we left with something more typical? Ooh. Man, that rhyme, Alex. It might be a rhyme that I said last week even mm, you know maybe <laughs> no but honestly alex um this movie for me is a trip it didn't take long into this movie for me to realize that i was going to like it more than battle in outer space last week mm. and i definitely did um now plot wise this thing is all over the place i mean we yeah. we get the introduction of our monster. Last week we talked about how maybe we didn't have a monster. We get our introduction of our monster with 20 minutes left in the film. But let me just say, this film has a bit of everything and a strong thematic through line that speaks to the optimistic side of mankind. I said last week that I didn't like sci-fi movies. But again, that may be hard on sci-fi. Because really what it is, is, is any movie that uses their genre to mask a lack of substance. This movie definitely, for me at least, has Mm. substance, and some substance that I'm excited to get into a bit. What did you think, Alex? Yeah, I mean, I definitely liked it. I don't know if I'm quite as, I mean, you know, I don't know if I'm quite as high on it as you. But I'm going to convince you by the end of this. You just wait. (laughs) But actually, you know, my only real gripe about it is that this film feels more disjointed to me than battle for outer space like the last 30 minutes in particular i'm i'm like kind of completely failing to understand why these elements are even in the film 
it does mm. have like this optimistic like feeling that oh, reminds me kind of of the Mysterians, you know, this joint universe, not universal, but this joint human effort to save everyone because they have everything to lose. I really, mm. and I really like that part of it. And I really like that they keep that constant sense of dread throughout as well, where you really don't know if they're going to be able to do it or not. And that's really portrayed a lot with some of the characters who there's one in particular that's really pessimistic and makes you think that maybe there is not a chance that they're going to mm-hmm. make it out. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I understand that point about not sure where the film is going in the last 30 minutes, especially, or like not really following what's happening. I get that. I think there's a purpose to it. I think there's a purpose. I'll talk about that in a second, but overall what you mentioned, Alex, um, is, is an existential dread that we find in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that existential dread of purpose is, is something that we didn't get the last two weeks. And I don't love referring constantly back to battle from last week, but I think this is a primary reason why I prefer this film much more. The stakes here are very, very clear. They're known by every single character. We're talking about the fate of, of the world. This is deep impact. This is Armageddon, right? <laughs> um, we are constantly reminded of this fact. We joked about it at the beginning. You know, we're constantly reminded that this is 6,000 times the mass of Earth. Yes. But the characters each respond in different ways. You know, there's that conversation between Tomoko and Tokiko, say that 10 times really fast, <laughs> where uh, I think it's Tomoko struggles to see the point in packing. Because in her words, you know, everyone's going to die anyway. Mm, What's the point? Yeah. You know, it's towards like, it's about, it's about that point where you say things start to kind of get crazy in the last 30 minutes. Um, but the only thing that keeps them going, the only thing that keeps them going is the interpersonal relationships they have. They work through this big universal problem of the earth potentially ending by focusing in on Kanai and his memory loss, which as big a deal as that would be, you know, it was a huge deal in Rodan. Um, that can't compare to the end of the world. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so these two have to focus in on this, the smaller issue in order to deal with this bigger issue. And my favorite scene of the whole movie, though, it might be the very opening of the movie, that opening act where it's, it's really kind of like a standalone short film yes. within this bigger film. Exactly. And this is this is where Captain Sonoda leads his crew to their death, but with honor. What I would say about that scene, Alex, and that if we want to call it a short film, we can. What I would say about that is that this film is like the thesis, or this this you know scene is like the thesis of this film as a whole. Um, even if the ship and its crew are going down, because of Captain Sonoda's lead, they're going to do quote, their best for the Mm. good of humanity as a whole. The rest of the film then becomes, can we do this on a worldwide scale, right? What they do on the ship scale. So it's like a miniature version, a miniature thesis of the film as a whole Mm. within those first 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I I think calling it a short film is kind of perfect because that's how I feel about it too. Like that, that whole scene is just awesome. And it's like one of the most harrowing moments that we've seen so far on this podcast. I also think that Kanai is kind of adorable, especially especially in that intro that he has to the movie where he's the robot. 
It's like really Dude, Akira Kubo. <laughs> Akira Kubo has so much charisma. He really it's, does. It's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, like he really does. <laughs> he is awesome. I love Akira he's, Kubo. He's, I really have grown to love just him. So, he's just so good. He's so likable. Until yeah. maybe he drops his girlfriend's picture of her dead boyfriend out the window. Uh, That's bad. N- yeah. Not exactly likable. <laughs> like it really, he immediately lost a lot of credit for me on that when that happened. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, it's bad. And then he just looks like an ass. So then okay. our characters who build the machine to save the world, while well, you know they're interesting, but it's mostly because of their idealism and their belief that they can get it done. I mean, they make it really clear all of them that they're giving it everything that they've got like that they're they might doubt themselves but they are they're gonna do it (laughs) some of them are Mm. there some of them have no doubt it feels like in a way which is what leads to their success but none of these characters none of them reach the heights of the characters that were created in that first 15 minutes of the film in that little short Mm. film that first five none of them reach the height of captain sonoda and even some of his crew that have minor roles, I remember them better than I do these other characters. I I agree with you that Sonoda, Captain Sonoda, is a standout. I think there are some other characters. Like you already mentioned Kanai, uh, yeah. Akira Kubo's character. He's a standout character. Uh, I think Tazawa, who I mentioned last week, was my uh, – Ryo Akebe was uh, – Akebe was my standout character. Uh, character last week cool's character i think he's great again here um in his idealistic role and and you're right what makes that role interesting is that idealism is the belief that he can uh save the world even when the un and people at the un have given up he still believes that he can do it um now the the main weakness of this film and you mentioned it uh, is also something that to me makes it entertaining and that's how all over the plot of this movie is but in my opinion at least it never loses its through line which is why I think it still works it does go all over the place and it has a huge cast and so it may be easy to get lost here and then as we said with 20 minutes left we finally get our monster our kaiju a giant prehistoric walrus right? <laughs> Uh, but let me let me tell you though. I <laughs> that actually, thing, man. I actually, yeah, I know it's it's funny. It's random, so random, right? Yeah. Um, but I actually like that development. It's so unexpected at that point. But I think it serves a point in letting us know that you know this one potential solution. Let's use uh, engines basically to move the Earth on the South Pole. That potential solution led to another potential crisis. This is where the film almost leans into that nihilism um, that we see from some of the characters, except for the fact that once again, how is this problem solved? It's, it's solved by the group of scientists working together to destroy the monster, despite, of course, mm. some hesitation at destroying a living being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They really rise to the occasion by murdering it with a very unscientific, <laughs> in a very unscientific fashion. Oh. They really do. It's inter- That's interesting, though. It's interesting how it is so crude. Um, this walrus really is kind of torn through like an animal, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's not Godzilla. Yes. <laughs> um, it's not – I probably wouldn't call it a kaiju. Yeah. It's just a giant animal. 
you know, yeah. um, that's causing uh, havoc, that's, that's wreaking mm. havoc on the scene. Well. And it's destroyed pretty easily. Yeah, but it, is. it needed to be destroyed. It was a, it was a problem that came up. It needed a solution. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, Eric, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm just gonna drop all my negativity right here. <laughs> all right, all right. This movie did not need this dopey walrus thing. It doesn't even bring up for me. I it didn't bring up a new message for me. It it doesn't it doesn't it has nothing to contribute, literally nothing except for a minor roadblock to the film. They acknowledge that they're doing what they're doing to the Arctic and that they're melting it because of the heat, but it's never addressed again. There's no consequence to it, and not only that, but you know you mentioned uh, Kanai's memory lost. I'm sorry for me, it was such a dumb plot line. Like, seriously, it has zero effect on the rest of the film for me. And it serves, it doesn't really serve much purpose. Hell, the crew that investigated the asteroid disappears from the film for 20 minutes. Well, you know, while I love most of the film, to say that it's cohesive, I think is a stretch. Uh, The only thing that is cohesive is the tone, which it nails, even if it may falter a little bit with the walrus. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well i you know i disagree with the uh memory loss plot line and, and I, I might get into that here in, in a little bit um yeah i'm i mean i understand like some of the characters disappearing we just have such a large this large huge cast right um it's an all-star cast and maybe we'll get into that a little bit more uh but yeah, I, I generally I disagree with you. I think I think it is pretty cohesive uh, in what it's trying to say, and it says it well because of the threat and the tone that it does nail um, throughout. So we may disagree a bit on this one, but um, yeah. real quick before we move on to our next segment, uh, MVM Plus this week, Alex, the Bargain Basement Club, uh, we are going to talk about a little bit about Tokyo Clash. We're going to talk about. Godzilla comics. We're going to talk about Ultraman Z. And I also want to touch a little bit on some social media stuff and some thoughts I've been having about it recently. Oh, sound good? Yeah, definitely. All right, cool. Well, that you can find that over at patreon.com slash MVM pod. Um, we will, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll chat for a little bit today and, and see where that conversation takes us. But I want to know, what someone else thinks about the giant walrus. <laughs> it's time to hear from the Theometer. Welcome back to other Theometer this week. This week, we are looking at Gorath. Gorath. All right. It's hard to say. Gorath. Gorath. Yes. And this is a special monster that I'm about to show you. I'm wondering what you think about this monster, Theo. All right. So here we go. Let's take a look. T- tell me what you see with this monster here. What does this monster look like? Uh, a beaver. It looks like a beaver? That's a strange beaver. It does actually look like a beaver. I think you're thinking of a different animal, not a beaver. What are some of his characteristics? It looks like a saber-toothed tiger. A saber-toothed tiger. Yeah. All right. It does. I think you're thinking of the word walrus. Have you heard of a walrus before? No! You've never heard of a walrus before. (laughs) 
like father, like son, I guess. Don't know your biology too well yet, do you? It's okay. It's all right. So on a scary scale, how scary is this monster from Gorath on your theometer scale? Chomp, chomp, chomp. It's a chomp, chomp, chomp. Huh? Is that scary or not so scary? It's not so scary. Okay, your sound effects are communicating, I think, everything we need to know about the monster. And this has been another Theometer This Week. All right, welcome back. Alex, we'll start you off. It's time for our awards. Coolest character. I think I already know yeah. who you're going to choose. Yeah. It, well, it, you you left got? me. You, you picked your award before I did. And I already know that because uh-huh. you left you left the one character I feel like you were going to pick for me. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I appreciate that. Because <laughs> it has to be Captain Sonoda. Uh, there's mm-hmm. no one else has feels like they ha- If I remember one character from this film, it's going to be him. If I remember anything from this film, it's just going to be the first 10 minutes of this film and the blinking star asteroid planet thing that's going through space. Because that's one thing I didn't mention. I really like how they use that impending doom by just showing that thing blinking in space like as it comes towards them. Yeah. I, just, I really like that. Yeah. Um, but Captain Sonoda, he, he immediately gets your attention. He immediately earns your respect. All before he sacrifices his team. Mm-hmm. And I just, I like the way he handles everybody. He gets them all on board with what they have to do for the benefit of everybody else. Just yeah. memorable. Very memorable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'll talk about him in a second, actually. Um, but I'm going to go with a pretty random character, Alex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is um, Masanari Nehei. Nehe- Nehe- as Ito. Oh. And the reason I... Do you know who this character is, Alex? Is this... Is this... Uh, oh, from Ultraman? Um, Ide. 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 Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just because I, I love seeing him here. I mean, we get him. We get um, the guy from Ultra Q. Yes. Not Kenji Sahara's character, but the other one uh, from Ultra mm-hmm. Q. This cast is humongous. Like, everybody's in this film. Akihiko Harata's in this film, and we're not even going to talk about him. Right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> like, we have so many people, but I'm going to go with Ido because I love Ide. Ide is one of my favorite <laughs> Ultraman characters. Me too. Um, and, you know, you could, <laughs> even that singing scene, like, that's, that's the element oh of this gosh. film that I like when they're singing in the helicopter. Yes. <laughs> it goes on for an eternity. <laughs> It goes on for about three minutes. It does. It does. Um, but I, I don't know. I like random things like that that just add to like the uniqueness of of some of these films. Um, that's why I love the scene in Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla so much. The singing scene. It just adds to the uniqueness of the film as a whole. But Ito doesn't do much. He just he just has a charm um, in himself that I appreciate. Yes. So I'm, I'm going to go with him. Oh, yeah, he's a good pick. When I saw him, I got so excited. He didn't have quite as big of a role as I was hoping he would. But, uh, I know, you know. I know, me, me either. What, what but about, I still went with yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> what about your uh, most memorable line award? All right, so uh, my most memorable line comes from your coolest character, Captain Sonoda, mm. um, played by Takashi Shimura, who is just excellent, ex- excellent in his role, mm-hmm. right? Um, and this is before they reach their end. And he says, um, they're like, we don't want to die. And um, no, that's that's not right. 
That's not right. <laughs> I, this was a different line. <laughs> this is a different line. <laughs> oh. I'm getting my movies confused. I'm totally getting my movies confused here <laughs> and my characters confused in this movie. No, th- this is a this is a different line. This is this is Takashi Shimura, mm. right? Not Captain Sonoda. This is a different Sonoda. <laughs> <laughs> this is a different Sonoda. Um, this is uh, Kensuke Sonoda, who basically plays the same character that he plays in Godzilla 54. Um, but you know I love existential lines. And he says, how can we continue to do our best? There must be more to our existence than this, mm. right? Uh, I just love that line. And he's the one of the older generation who actually has hope, right? Because uh, you have that generational pull between some of the older UN officials and the younger Dr. Tazawa, mm. right? Um and so I love that role, and I love that line uh, that we see Takashi Shimura play. Yeah, yeah. It, what, what about you? After I, I saw that your, line, uh, Eric, and I knew it was you. Uh-huh. <laughs> I knew you were gonna pick it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah, me. I, I, I've got a, I got a line by Doctor Kernick, and he, he's speaking in English in this. So he says, "You've done fine work on your research on high voltage discharged vibrators." For ionized hydrogen. (laughs) Classic. And he does the pause. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What about your can't believe the acting award, Alex? (laughs) I was going to give it to Dr. Kernick for that line, but uh, I think I'm actually going to go with the first crew member of Sonoda's that shouts hurrah after he's done it. Because it sounds weird, but when he does that, when he does the hurrah, you can like, and it's probably with the score and everything, you know, all accentuating everything, but you really feel like, you know, that they're accepting their deaths and they're, it, it, it is literally a last hurrah. <laughs> and, and you, you feel it from the first, from the first guy all through all of them. And I really like that moment that they really convey that like we're a team and we're doing this for the greater good. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. By the way, Alex, if Akube is not did not do the score in this movie, did I say if Akube did? That? Did I say that? No, you didn't. Okay. You didn't. But like, I think it's just like assumed. Oh yes. You know? He did not do the score, and honestly, I hate to say it, but it was it was a little bit refreshing. <laughs> oh no, um, that's okay. Not that if Akube, you know, like not that if Akube is no, you, no, you yeah. said it. If Akube is bad, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tweet it right now. <laughs> Eric said if Akube is bad. No, <laughs> no, no. no. But whenever you you get, you get the same sort of feeling in every film, whenever you you hear his music in every single film, here the the composer is Kan Ishii, um, and man, let me tell you, the intensity of that moment that you just mm. mentioned it is captured so it really well. Is. As that ship is being pulled in, into Gorath, it is oh, it's it's done so well. Um, I'm really impressed. Yeah, I am too. By the by the music and by that entire moment. Which is why, as I was trying to say before, this was, a, and the reason I got confused is this was about to be my most memorable line. Um, and it comes from the captain. And 
he says, um, don't you think I would tell you if we were going to die? Mm-hmm. This is like moments before. Like he, he, he understands his role, right? Moments before they right. know they're going to die. Uh, his crew is like, we don't want to die. And he says, don't you think I would tell you if we were going to die? Uh, and this is June Tazaki as Rezo Sonoda, uh, Captain Sonoda. Mm. Uh, Got to give him a lot of credit because that scene is fantastic. Yes. And he really sells that scene. Um, and I love that line. Don't you think I would tell you if we were going to die? And then it's followed closely a few minutes after by realizing he is um, and, and saying we're going to do our best until the very, very mm-hmm. end. Which, again, is that through line that I'm talking about, uh, which is, which is of course, it's, it's Honda's main through line in all of his film, films. It's the Brotherhood of Man. But here, it feels necessary. It feels real um, because of that threat. And so I, I loved his acting in that scene. Yes. Yeah, he did an excellent job. Uh, what about your uh, standout effect? So I want to go with the tsunami because that is haunting, man. Yes. Like uh, the way that it just tears through all the buildings. That has to be, you want to talk about great destruction scenes. If you're, if you're a little tired of lasers and explosions, <laughs> watch that. Right. right. Um, but I'm actually going to get a little bit more specific. And you mentioned this a little bit before, but it's actually the Gorath star. Right, it's the Gorath ah. star, especially how it implodes as Kanai peers into it as he loses his memory and later regains his memory at the very yes. end. There's something about that image that, to me, fits into everything else that this film is selling. Can you look into a collapsing star on its way to destroy your planet and maintain the mental fortitude to keep moving sure. forward? This is one of the reasons that 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 memory loss line actually or the memory loss like plot line that you said is kind of throwaway it actually works for me it's like it's more of like a yeah it's memory loss but it's also somebody that has just kind of forgotten who they are uh in the face of such a threat and like a like a hopelessness and at the end when he does gain can i regains his memory alex that's the point when hope is restored Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also it's also the point where the other characters have to take care of of they still have to take care of him, <laughs> right? They still have to take care of him and, and serve him with his memory loss, even though they're facing the potential end of their lives as well. As I said, it goes back to that they have to deal on an interpersonal level with the threat at hand because there's nothing else that they can do. Right. And I just think it feels very relevant, and so that's why that that. Plot line doesn't feel quite as throwaway as maybe uh, you think it might. Mm, interesting. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Mine. Uh, Not uh, buying it. Not mm, buying it. Mm. <laughs> anyway, so my award was for <laughs> my award. I think you make a good case for it, but uh, my my uh, uh standout effect award is for the tunnel collapse when they're building the first set of rockets to to turn the planet into a into a rocket which is just we haven't even mentioned that that's the the plan it's the most ridiculous awesome plan i love it i love it it's so ridiculous it's so ridiculous and my favorite part is is they have to do it again after after the movie's over with because they have to go back um but yeah, the tunnel collapse is really cool looking. The way they make the ga- the cr- the ground cave in, it looks like it looks really great. But the way 
they cut it into the effect of it collapsing while our characters are there and showing it all fall apart. It just it's just a really well done collapse. I just I was just really impressed by it. And then I like the giant yeah. hole that's left up left by it afterwards. I keep I, I you know, maybe I shouldn't keep praising it because it sounds like I'm not selling you, but yeah, the fact that they have to do it again, mm-hmm. Alex, is also part of it, right? It's like part of this film's message. Like the, the work has to continue. Right. After the film ends, the work has to continue. Yeah. And the work that continues is going to probably cause other problems. But what's the solution to those other problems? It's we'll once worry again, about it later. Honda's Brotherhood of Man. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which, yeah. Yeah, I, I get it. The, that message seems a little bit hit over our heads in some of these movies, but I just think it works really well here. Anyway, what's your, oh, that's a good shot award? Uh, yeah, mine's got to be the final shot of the captain as they're preparing to die. He's sitting there in the middle of the frame and his chair slowly rises behind him. And, you know, it's all red. It's just this really cool scene. It's just, it's awesome. It is. It really is. I think the camera in this film is, is much more dynamic than what we've seen in the first oh, two movies of this sci-fi Someone series. was having fun this time around. <laughs> yeah, it, it's true. And interestingly enough, it's the same cinematographer. I went back and checked, hmm, right? Interesting. It's pretty much the same crew overall. There just seemed to be a little bit more freedom and a little bit more movement with the camera this time around. Um, and my shot, it might technically be an effect. I think it is an effect, but I liked it anyway. And it's at the beginning um, of the film during that scene when they realize that Gorath is is going to you know, suck them in. There's that scene where you see the, the ship moving and then the ship does a 180 degree turn, but it's still like moving forward. It's just really interesting physics, how it worked. Yes. Um, it looked really realistic. So like the ship, the ship is moving forward, but then they're still trying to do a 180 degree turn while the ship continues right. to move forward. Yep. I thought it was really, really well done. The physics are really cool there and they feel realistic. Like you can't just stop and make a 180 degree turn on a dime. And so it took a lot of effort yeah. to, to actually do that shot mm-hmm. well. Yeah, it was very cool. So that that's me. Of course, they don't get away. But. <laughs> yeah, I'm really impressed by how they died. So <laughs> yeah, I'm really impressed by how they die. <laughs> well, let's let's go into our rating and ranking. And Alex, I'm gonna start with you first. Yeah. So week. while I did enjoy this movie uh, because of its tonal management and how excellently done that was and how well done the characters are. Um, especially the, that short film at the beginning as we're starting to call it. Uh, I can't mm-hmm. help but notice how disjointed, disjointed, how disjointed the finale is. It really feels like the monster integration was this contractual obligation rather than an intelligent integration. I think that Kanai's memory loss plot is lame, kind of half-baked, and completely unnecessary. I actually like that there's a lot of... uh, (laughs) I actually think there's a lot of bad decisions in the back third of this film. But the key is, in the final moments, when Gorath passes Earth, it is a thrilling moment. 
And the opening moments are just as thrilling as that. Though That through line through the film does pervade even during these moments that I don't really care for. And I'm, I'm a lot like you. I really like the unity of this film. It feels a little bit like the Mysterians where it's the world uniting, but this is to the nth degree compared compared to that. Like you really feel like it's an all or nothing go, you know, it's got this really interesting message and that this work that the world can really achieve anything. If everybody would just work together. And, you know, with all that, I'm really am split on this one. I, I think for me it's going to be a 3.5, but part mm-hmm. of me thinks it's too generous with the problems I have, but it's a fun ride. Even when I'm not enjoying the ki- the kaiju just showing up out of nowhere, I'm still having a good time. So it, it, it's going to be a 3.5 for me, and I don't think this one's going to yeah. drop down, actually. Well, that's good because a 3.5 is underrated. Ooh, it, I don't know about that. Eyes. Now, I'm not saying this movie, look, I'm not saying this movie is a sci-fi must-see for general audiences everywhere. But if you love Japanese monster movies, you've seen these movies, you know these actors, you love Ishiro Honda, you you need to check out Korath if you haven't already. I'm going to make a bold claim. Of his non-explicitly kaiju films, I think this is my favorite of Honda's. Um, The sets are just as good here if not better than they were in the Mysterians and Battle in Outer Space. But what I appreciated about this film is that its message comes through the human elements. When the stakes are the highest, the characters have to deal, as I've said, in the interpersonal. They must look each other in the face, sometimes in the face of a perceived enemy, and come to an understanding. We all know about Honda's love for this brotherhood of man theme that he brings into just about every single film. And it can get old when it feels tacked on. It really can't. Like, we know the point, right, Honda? We know the point. Here, I don't feel like it feels tacked on. Because, as you said, the threat is real and looming and completely existential. The film's opening 15 minutes, as I said, that short film, it feels like the film's thesis in a microcosm. And the rest of the film just plays out on the macro level to see how the world is going to respond. Are they going to respond in the same way in trying to do their best to work together? Or are they going to collapse? Well, we see here that Honda thinks, at least in this film, right, which has a more optimistic message, that the idealism, if we can stick together, will prevail. Mm. Right? Seriously, go watch Gorath if you haven't. I give it a four Mm. out of five. And I think it's second on my list, right above Rodan of uh, our Toho, non-Godzilla Toho films that we've watched. Yeah, so mine's, it's like in the middle somewhere. It's below Rodan, but it's it's uh, it's above all these non, I'm going to call them non-kaiju-centric like kaiju-centric films. This is definitely higher than yeah, Atragon like and our other kaiju in space series so far. Yeah. Yep. Um. Do you have a rhyme for this upcoming film? Now this this next film is oh, okay. Space, let me let me which, tell us. Which <laughs> are you gonna are you gonna tell everybody? Um, yeah, <laughs> we, 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 let's let's tell them next week. Yeah, we well, I'm gonna it. go ahead and tell you, Eric. I've seen 15 <laughs> minutes of it already. It's probably gonna be my number one. It's excellent. All right, I'm setting right. high expectations. And it's for also rest, it's newer. It's it, newer. It's in right? the 70s. Yeah, it's like. Yeah, it's in the 70s. So we take a little leap in time here. Mm. Um, 
to, to move ahead to the seventies where we're going to watch oh, war in space. Um, as I said, like I haven't necessarily been the biggest fan of the sci-fi series, but Gorath has, has given me some hope. So my rhyme for next week, yeah. Alex, um, even though Gorath has given me some hope, my question is when we finish war in space, can we d- be done with the sci-fi place? Oh, Eric. Oh, uh, it's Eric. so sad. I love sci-fi. Oh, uh. <laughs> I like All sci-fi right. too. So when it has so, meaning, mm, like yeah, whatever. Um. So anyway, so <laughs> I guess what, next is the war in space. Can it keep up the pace, or is it a disgrace? That's it. Nice. All right. Now I will take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. (laughs) All right. Uh, As always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MVM underscore pod. You follow us on on Letterboxd. Alex Cornett and Eric Neely email us MVMPod at gmail.com or leave us feedback on our website, MVMPod.com. Uh, as we mentioned before, you can become a Bargain Basement Club member over at patreon.com slash mvmpod and receive weekly bonus episodes where we talk about kind of whatever we like. And if you feel so led, leave us a review on iTunes. Even if you can't support us financially at this time, that review mm-hmm. really helps. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornett. Executive producers are Faye Basir and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, Rock Band for PlayStation 3, Senor Honda, Drew the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next week. Try, try to stay, to stay <laughs> alive. alive. See ya. A beaver? It looks like a beaver? That's a strange beaver. <laughs> <laughs> jump, jump, jump. <laughs>